Let's open our Bibles to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, the first chapter. We've already had uh, all the books down to Zechariah and Malachi of the minor prophets. We started with Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, and Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and Haggai. Now we're Zechariah. Haggai, and Zechariah, and Malachi. The last three of the books are post-exile or post-exilic, they call them, prophets. If you have Zechariah chapter 1, notice we'll read the first verse and then we'll give you a little bit of introduction concerning the book of Zechariah. Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu, the prophet, saying... Let's just stop there before we... Uh, see what message he brings. So we know it's the word of the Lord that came to Zechariah. This means he's under divine inspiration. As the Bible says, all the Scriptures were given by inspiration of God and that holy men of God spake, Peter says, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Both Paul and Peter tell us of the inspiration of God's word. And uh, we want to say some things about this verse in the way of introduction. <clears throat> His prophecy covers God's plan and purpose for Israel from Babylonian captivity to the end of or the final restoration of Israel at the second coming of Jesus Christ because it starts then and it continues on and points to things that pertain to the second coming of Christ. So, the chronological order takes in a whole scope from His time until Jesus comes again. So, if you can get that scope in your mind as what He covers, it would be very well for us to do that. Uh, Zechariah was born in Babylon, by the way, and returned as a young man to Jerusalem. You can find references in Nehemiah 12, verse 14 through 16 that would help you. But uh, we won't... I don't want to spend as much time on introduction as uh, you might think, but there's some things that we would like to point out. If you notice this first verse, it speaks of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, and then the son of Idu, the prophet. Each one of these names have a very special meaning. Actually, Zechariah means Jehovah remembers. Zechariah means Jehovah remembers. And Berechiah means Jehovah will bless. And then I do, some of them pronounce it a little different, means the appointed time. So this might even form a, uh, a prophecy of what you'll find in the book. Jehovah remembers, and Zechariah points out what he remembers about Israel's sins and about uh, everything about them, as well as pointing to the future that he will remember the covenant that he made with them. And also, uh, Berechiah means Jehovah will bless. This looks a forward to hope that they have in the future. And then the appointed time, uh, I do, means the appointed time. So this would be in the appointed time, both of the Old Testament and the appointed time that is yet future. So it looks, it's the whole scope from that time that they were in Babylonian captivity or came out of Babylonian captivity until uh, the coming of Christ. We'll find a lot of things that show us the Messiah here than His coming in this book of Zechariah. In fact, it's, uh, the book of Zechariah has more to say about the coming uh, person and work and glory of Christ than all of the other eleven minor prophets. He has more to say than all the other eleven. There are twelve minor prophets. 
And so this one is a full book concerning uh, the person of Christ and the coming of Christ. Furthermore, I want to uh, give you by way of introduction, if you drop down to verse 7, it says, I saw by night and behold a man riding upon a red horse. Just stop there for a moment. This is one of the night visions of ten that Zechariah has. He has ten night visions. And he beheld all these visions in one night. We'll point them out where they start in just a moment. And give you the title of them if you'd like to just mark in the margin of your Bible. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And it takes us way over on to, I think it's chapter six where the last one is uh, mentioned. Yes. The tenth one is mentioned in chapter 6. But I'll point them out to you if you'd like to have them. First of all, uh, the first vision of these ten night visions is chapter 1, beginning with verse 7 through 17. And that is the red horse among the myrtle trees. The first one is chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. And then we find the second one is the four horns. That one, first one was a red horse rider among the myrtle trees. Red horse among the myrtle trees. The rider on the red horse. Okay? And then the second one is verses 18 and 19. And this is the four horns. And then verses 20 and 21, that's still in the first chapter, is the four carpenters or smiths. And then the fourth one is in chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. And this is the measuring, the man with the measuring rod or measuring line, or surveying line in his hand. The man, the measuring or surveying line. And that's chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And then chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, you have Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Another vision of Zechariah. And then chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, you have Jehovah's servant, and he is called the branch. And chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, the golden candlestick and the two olive trees. All one title. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. The 30-foot flying roll. There's a flying roll. 30-foot flying roll. And then chapter 5, verses 5 through 11, you have the ephah or the bushel basket. And then chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, you have the four chariots. And then there's other things that we'll give you as we go along, but I believe that's enough to digest at one time because you can't... Come to another section and it has two burdens. And then you come to one that has four messages from God. The two burdens and then the four messages. But right now, these ten that I've given you, if you'd like to, I'll repeat them as quickly as I can. The red horse rider among the myrtle trees, 1, chapter 1, verse 7 through 17. The four horns, chapter 1, verse 18, 19. The four carpenters, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. The measure or surveying line, the measuring line or surveying line, you might want to call it. 2, 1 through 13. Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. This is number 5. You'll find it in 3, 1 through 7. Jehovah's servant, the branch, 3, 8 through 10. The golden candlestick and the two olive trees, 4, 1 through 13. The 30-foot flying roll, 5, 1 through 4. The ephah or bushel basket. The ephah is a measure and it's a bushel basket. 5, 5 through 11. Then the four chariots, 6, 1 through 8. And I believe we will not carry you any further on the information I have on that in that way until we get to it because it might be too confusing. 
the first thing we'll deal with is these ten night visions. And as we said, uh, he beheld all these visions in one night. And one followed another. Shows you the sequence of them so that they're very closely connected, giving the progressively, giving in a system of progress the coming events that will come because they're all progressive. One follows the other. Just like a, a chain with ten links. One, two, three, and they're all connected. And one follows the other. That's the way the Beatitudes are, by the way. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, the uh, Beatitudes in the fifth chapter of Matthew, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, poverty of spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. What does poor, since we're spiritual pauper, paupers, what does it lead us to do? Mourn over such condition. See? And right on down. And they're linked and they progress. They're like runs of a ladder that you go the first step until you get all the way to the top. And that's the way the Beatitudes are. These visions are similar in, in some aspects that they one follows right on the other. And so when we begin to see the first one, we'll see what the second one reveals and how the connection is drawn. Now then, we said, uh, we read, of course, in the first verse and gave you quite a bit of introduction, but let's begin reading there because it picks up with the message that he has in verses 1 through 6 before we get to this first vision. The message he has for Israel, return at that time. Remember, they, Haggai said they were to build the temple. By the way, that Haggai and Zechariah are uh, contemporaries. Uh, Haggai's uh, prophecy was very short and and Zechariah's was a long period of time, quite a longer, much longer period of time. But uh, basically, they have a burden about the return of the captives from Babylonian captivity, and his burden is that they would repent and turn to God and do the work that uh, he had to do in building the temple. But let's read again. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord. You'll notice it's the same time that Haggai speaks of, or the same year at least. Uh, it says, uh, under Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Adu, the prophet, saying. Now, verse 2 begins to show what he's saying. And what does he say concerning his people at that time? The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Now, we'll take up a verse-by-verse interpretation and exposition of the prophet now. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore, say thou unto them... Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn to you, saith the Lord of hosts. It seems that his displeasure was not only with their fathers, but they had passed all their actions down to the present generation. So he was displeased with them as well. God's displeasure, we might say, and call to repentance is seen here. Verse 2, he's displeased. And verse 3, he says, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn to you, saith the Lord of hosts. So when God's displeasure is seen with us, we can see readily that there is a need for Him to call us to repentance, turn from our ways, just as with Israel. And by the way, He is still displeased with them. And He will be for a long period of time until they repent. And He's displeased with you and I if we fall in the same category. He's, we're going to see where he's displeased with the Gentile world later on. And he tells about that in, the, in this chapter before we get through and how that they're to turn. If you'll notice verse 15, 
He says, I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. You see, where God finds displeasure with sin, He doesn't respect persons or people, even His own. And you and I, you know, you remember Peter said that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? See, none are excluded from the displeasure when God finds a need to be displeased with us. Doesn't mean He's forsaken us. Doesn't mean He doesn't love us. It didn't mean He didn't love His people of old. But it meant His displeasure was there and He wanted them to turn. And it's His call to repentance. So look at verse 3. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. If you'll turn to me, I will turn to you. So there takes turning. And it's not halfway or haphazard turning. It's genuine turning. And that's what God wants on the part of uh, nations as well as individuals. Is turning to Him for His blessings. He wants that on the part of each and every one of us individually. But He wants it to be a national turning as well. And then He says, And I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. You know, the Bible tells us the Thessalonians, Paul speaks of their conversion, and he says, I believe it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, how you turn to God, look, to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So you turn from something to turn to something. You turn to something to turn from something. It's a complete turning. We said one of the Psalms says, I thought on my ways and turned my steps under thy word. I thought on my ways, then I turned my steps into what God had said, thy word. I believe you'll find that in the 119th Psalm. Let's see if we can find it. Psalm 119. I thought and I turned. But it's thinking and turning. But anyway, you'll find it in the 119th, I'm pretty sure. Thinking and turning. So God's word is to be turned into. Verse what? 59? Yeah, it is. Thank you, dear. It says, I thought on my ways and turned my feet under thy testimonies. Testimony statutes and all these things refer to his word. So thinking causes us to turn. If we think of where we are and where we stand with God, then we turn to God. Now then, back in the book of Zechariah, I want you to notice he said in verse 3, Therefore, say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Now then, he says, Be ye not as your fathers. See, in verse 2 he says he was sore displeased with their fathers. But he tells them not to be like them. In verse 4, Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways. This was their fathers that were addressed in the same way. And he says, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. They wouldn't listen. They would not hearken. And he says, Your fathers, where are they? Where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? His law, uh, they had all gone to their graves. Where are they? But he says, but my words and my statutes, verse 6, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of, of your fathers? And they returned and said, 
like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath He dealt with us. All of the pre-exile or exilic prophets had called them to repentance. And His laws and His statutes are to be obeyed. And where had they gone as a result? They had gone to their graves. Turn to Second Chronicles 36, verse 15 and 16. Second Chronicles 36, verse 15 and 16. It says, And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by His messengers, look, rising up betimes and sending, because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. But look, verse 16, But they mocked the messengers of God and despised His words and misused His prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against His people till there was no remedy. That's how they treated the former prophets. Second Chronicles 36, 15 and 16 shows us their attitude and how they reacted to the message and would not turn. So when you put this all together, you find that God's displeasure is known. His call to repentance because they had, His laws and His statutes uh, would not be obeyed and they are to obey them. His word was given to them by the other prophets. Verse 6 says, But my words and my statutes which have commanded my servants the prophets, did they not take hold of, uh, of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath He dealt with us. God's judgment had overtaken them because they failed to listen. Isn't that an amazing thing? How God tells us if we'll hearken and obey, what do we do? We sing a little song that says, Trust and obey. But what happens most of the time? We do not obey. Many, many times we do not obey. And He expects us as well as He did them to obey. So hath He... I have circled there. So hath He dealt with us. The last part of verse 6. Now, when you come to verse 7, we've already said that verse 7 through 17, you have this first night vision. If you want to mark it now, I'll try to repeat them as we come to them. And this is the red horse among the myrtle trees. And you know, sometimes we have to delve into and study the meaning of these visions. And we certainly will this one. And what does it say in verse 7? Upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Sebat, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu, the prophet, saying. Now, what is he saying? I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom. And behind him were there red horses speckled in white, all kinds of different kinds. Then said I, O my Lord, notice how he's addressed, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? What? The seventy years of what? Captivity. How long will you not have mercy upon them? They've been in captivity seventy years and now what's he going to do? Well, we've already read where he's 
called upon them to turn and repent, hasn't he? Even though they'd re- returned from uh, captivity. And they, his indignation had been against them for three score and ten years, for seventy years. And you would think by now they would have learned the lesson to turn to God. And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great jealousy. Now he goes on to say, And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. If you notice, that, connect that with verse 10 where it says, uh, I mean, let's see, verse 11 where it says, All the earth sitteth still and is at rest. The heathen seemed to be prospering and were at rest while God's people were still in trouble. They still had their problems. So verse 15 says, I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. The land of promise was under Gentile rule. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it. Remember, they were called upon to rebuild the temple, and they had slacked off in the previous chapter, and they had uh, set, laid a foundation, and then they'd been idle for 16 years, they hadn't done anything to it. They were just sitting there, and hey, guy says, How long uh, is it time for you to dwell in your sealed houses and let God's house uh, lie in waste and be not built? And he says, uh, Consider your ways. And he tells them the result of their backslidden condition. We had that in our last book, didn't we? Alright? So verse 16 says, Therefore thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. And that's the end of this first vision, this first night vision of the Red horse rider among the myrtle trees. Now, someone said, well, that's all a mystery to me. Well, it is to most of us, but you can detect some things if you begin to study it. You know, God sent his angels. You know, it says the angel that talked with me. They are messengers from the Lord. That's verse uh, 9. They're messengers from God. Remember over in the book of Revelation when he's talking about the angel of the the angels of the seven churches are messengers of the seven churches. And in that sense, he's talking about the pastors, I believe, in the book of Revelation, because they are the messengers. But some say that even there, that was referring to heavenly angels sent down, but we've already been through that in our studies in Revelation. But it simply means a messenger. And so, here God's messengers were there. And we know that God has said in His Word that He sent forth His angels to be ministering spirits to them who shall be heirs of salvation. That's uh, Hebrews 1, verse 13, 14. 14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth for them who shall be, the heir, shall be heirs of salvation? Hebrews 1, verse 14. I believe He says more about the angels earlier in Hebrews chapter 1. And He says that His ministers are a flame of fire. But we'll see that there are Old Testament references that will show you that this is the Lord in the midst of all His heavenly messengers that are round about Him. When we talk about the messengers, then we'll talk about the rider of the horse. 
But let's talk about the messengers at first. Second Kings 19 verse 35. Look at Second Kings chapter 19 and verse 35. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians and hundred and fourscore and five thousand. That's a hundred and eighty-five thousand men. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. One angel smote what? A hundred and eighty-five thousand. You remember when Jesus said, I could call twelve legions of angels to my rescue? Did you know that would be enough? Multiply twelve legions times 185,000. That would be enough to take care of the population of the whole earth at any given time in history. I mean, he could just take care of all of them. If one angel could take care of this many. And of course, we find a special attachment to the angel of the Lord because uh, actually we believe that in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. Now, notice there's angel in that and the angel of the Lord that's spoken of in this passage in Zechariah. But the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is an uncreated being. And we find that uh, the man that's referred to on this uh, red horse rider is the man is the Son of God in His pre-incarnate or incarnation glory because He's spoken of in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. So it's pretty evident that we search out some things that are symbolical and typical here. You know, the myrtle tree signifies Israel's program of divine worship that properly carried out was a fragrance to the Lord. But with, when it was not properly carried out, that's why you find His heavy hand upon them. It speaks of the fragrance of the Lord upon His program for His people. But then when we find the color red here, it identifies Him, you know, Jesus as the Lamb of God who shed His blood in redemption. Red speaks of His bloodshed. He is seen here as the leader of the heavenly hosts. They are all subject to Him in all things. And we find He makes intercession as well. All of these things cannot be attributed to anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ. There's another scripture, Second Chronicles 18, verse 18. Let's see what it says. 18, verse 18. It says, and he again he said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon His throne and all the hosts of heaven standing on His right hand and on His left. See, He's compassed about with all the heavenly angels. And the Bible says that they're all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation. The Bible teaches that they're down here upon this earth. Remember when Jacob had his vision? He saw a ladder up to heaven. Now listen carefully. And the angels of God were, listen, ascending. Were they going up first, weren't they? And descending. Ascending and descending. Look at John chapter 1. Look in John chapter 1. I want you to get this. The only connection with heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our connection with heaven. John chapter 1. Jesus said, now he's speaking to, to Nathaniel, I believe, in verse 49, but look at verse 51. And he saith unto him, he's speaking to Nathaniel, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see heaven open. Now look. And the angels of God, now notice the order, ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So Christ is the only connection between earth and heaven. But what are the angels doing? They're not descending and ascending upon the Son of Man, 
but they are ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So the word, the fact is that they're down here with us now. Talk about guardian angels or angels around about us, God's uh, flaming fires, God's ministering spirits. I know most of us can testify to the fact that at some time or other, and I can testify more than just one time, and I'm sure you can, that you felt that God's uh, protecting messenger was around you or you would have met with great tragedy. I can point out several times in my life when I know this was true. In my own mind, I believe that's what happened. And uh, I don't believe I'm speculating on it because God promised that it would be there, that they would be there to protect us. Maybe you just had a near automobile accident and you look back and say, God, how did you get me out of this? I mean, you know, it's just almost a miracle that you didn't crash headlong with someone or have a terrible accident or other things that happened in your life. I believe we have protecting angels. And I believe they're around about us. And the Bible tells us they're encamped round about those that fear Him. Look, let's see if we can find it in Psalm. Is it 139? I'll see if I can find something here. Psalm 139. It tells of God's presence with us. In verse 7, He says, With us shall I go from thy... Spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Now look back in Psalm uh, 34 and verse 7. Psalm 34 and verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. I have a a message on where is thy God? Where is thy God? First of all, he's beneath us. Says the eternal God is thy refuge. And what? Underneath are the everlasting arms. You find that in Deuteronomy. It says he's in heaven above. It says he's. Uh, not only beneath us, but and He's above us, but He's round about us. And then Jesus said He is with us. We could go on and tell you where God's presence is. And we just read a Scripture there in the book of Psalms that would show you that wherever we are, He's there. But let's continue with this thought that we're studying here in the book of Zechariah chapter 1. So we said that this is the Son of God in His pre-incarnate or pre-incarnation glory. And he's identified with the color red because he is the Lamb of God that shed his blood in redemption. We know that blood is red. And the Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, according to his riches in glory. So when you see who he is and what he represents and what he's going to do, look at verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord said, or answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the, on the cities of Ju- Judah against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? The seventy years they had been under God's chastening hand. And the Lord answered uh, the angel that talked with me with good works, good words and comfortable words. He had a message of comfort. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. 
and I am sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. Remember, it said in verse 11 that all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. They were at ease while God's people were still in trouble. And while they were still crying out for how long is God going to, you know, uh, not hear us and help us. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. The land of promise was under Gentile rule, and they helped it forward because of the fact that uh, Israel had turned against him and had not obeyed his laws. And therefore he was displeased. He said he was sore displeased. And he asked them already in this first chapter to return, didn't he? Let's go on down. It says in verse uh, 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. I'm come back. I, I present myself, first of all, with mercies. My house shall be built in it. Zechariah was encouraging them to build a house as well as uh, Haggai, the previous. And he says, And a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Remember, we come to a measuring line in chapter 2. But he says, Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities uh, through, through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and, he, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. So he speaks of all the, the uh, promise and the hope and the comfort that he gives them in spite of all the trouble that they were in. We won't take up this next vision right now because it's the four horns in verse 18 and then the four carpenters in verses 20 and 21. And we're going to find uh, these four horns of power that represent heathen or Gentile nations much as in Daniel, the four four, uh, kingdom or Gentile nations that the Lord will have to deal with. He did in the Old Testament as well as a revived Roman Empire in the future or the nations in the future during the uh, time of the book of Revelation in the tribulation period. So we'll stop off there and pick up with verse 18 in our next lesson. And we thank you for your patience and kind attention.